Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Today on episode 19 of the Run Culture Podcast, I catch up with dual gold medalist from the recent 2019 Dubai Paralympic World Championships, Jared Clifford. So Jared won the gold medal in the 1500 and the 5K at the event. And Jared is just an amazing runner. He's got a visual impairment, but this doesn't stop him from running under 30 minutes for 10K 14.20 for 5K and a 3.45 for 1,500 metres. But on top of this, Jared's just a legend of a bloke. He is such a great role model for Paralympic sport. He's really well-spoken, mature beyond years, and I think he's an inspiration for just so many. Welcome to the podcast, Jared Clifford. Clifford. Hey, we got it. You there? Yeah, I'm there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, unreal. unreal. Oh, <laughs> half an hour later, we did it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get cracking. Um, yep. No, nah, so happy to have you on the podcast. Um, uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast um, ever since um, I met you at Flagstaff. And uh, yeah, your, your story is really inspiring. And it's one that I think... Um, uh, more people should hear. Um, so um, I'll just fill everyone in on, on what happened. Um, so yeah. at Flagstaff, I went over there as a physio and um, you were there, Dion Kenzie, um, Sam Harding, Michael Roger. Um, so, uh, so everyone there was um, training for um, the Paralympic World Champs for this year. Um and uh, it was an altitude training camp and Philo, the coach, was there. Um, and, yeah, you guys trained really hard and um, it was so inspiring to see how hard you guys all trained and, and then you all raced so well. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the camp went so well, I thought. Um, fill us Definitely. in on, on how you thought the camp went. Yeah, the camp was, was really good and, and having you there, Dane, that was epic because yeah you know we could train the house down and then uh you know we wouldn't have to worry about anything because because you'd be there treating us uh, even though you'd probably run more k's in the day than us so um <laughs> I, pro- I couldn't have done what i did at world champs and i know the boys would agree with me we couldn't have all done it without you so so yeah big big thanks for that but well, um i think that's a bit generous um i think nah. you guys made me look good <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that but the, the training was awesome wasn't it like oh yeah um I, I couldn't started... believe how fast you guys would all run um, every day, and um, yeah, and it was such a good atmosphere. I felt. Yeah, it was it was good like that. Like we, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure leading into a world champs, and with uh, you know, rogues wanting to win a gold medal on the track, and Dion defending his title, and, and me going in as a favourite 
we all had a, a kind of a big pressure on us to perform well and um being in an environment where you know there's people around you that are supporting you that's that's super important and i think you know for for most of the part we, we were getting that for sure and this the training is um pretty brutal up there if you are you know you're riding a pretty fine line between maybe a little bit too much and and uh maybe being too conservative so with philo and you know he's one of the best coaches at gauging stuff like that uh yep um i think i could not have ended that camp in you know better better physical condition so it was it, it's good for the confidence and and when you know that you're that fit you can actually relax going into the competition a little bit more there's a yep. little bit less tension yep cuz you went over there and i remember you saying oh Dana, I actually am feeling in my career best shape already, and and that was before the camp even had started. Yeah, that was my action. That honestly, that's why that's the moment when I get the most nervous is maybe two months out rather than yep in the days before because in the days before there's not much you can change, so you've just got to kind of ride ride the wave till it mm-hmm. till it's finished. But with a month to go, or at that stage, it's probably five or six weeks to go even. Um, you know, I was in the shape where if the race was the next day, I was pretty convinced that no one would be able to touch me. But yep. what made me nervous was the fact that I had to maintain that for six weeks and there's a yep. lot can go wrong in six weeks. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably what makes me the most nervous, just not knowing if I'm going to be able to hold it or, or something unforeseen happening. Uh-huh. Now, tell, tell listeners of some of these big sessions that you did, like, I remember there was one session in Sedona where you were actually throwing up in the bushes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was uh, one of my failed ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a few like pretty big lactic sessions. Yeah. That one was probably um, good to get that one out of the way early because although it probably wasn't the hardest that we did, I, um, you know, we were reasonably fresh off the plane and I, uh, yeah, it was, went out a bit hard. I think it was, what, what session was that? Was that the 300, 400, 300, or oh, sorry, 400? No, what is it? Three, four, three, four, three. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, really so, quick. Like, I think you hit the first one in 53 or. Yeah, even f- 52, even, I yeah. think. But um, yeah, Philo was a little bit further back, but we. um, Yeah, by the owners think... at about 1,300, I think. Or... Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I. um. I'm just trying to find the splits. I'm pretty sure I managed to finish the second 400 in 58. So I was popping already. Yep. And then I, I walked over to the, to the, like the bushes and there was all these cactus and stuff in there or, or something. And I'm just like throwing up and I've got about five minutes to recover. <laughs> um, and then I was, well, Philo actually told me to pull the pin or said it would be okay if I pulled the pin. Yep. And um, Keely Small, who was in a, a reasonably similar state. Uh, I saw her or I heard her like walking off to the, to the start line of the last 300. And I was like, there's no way if she's going to finish that I'm not going to finish. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, so I ran, yeah, 47 or 48, yep. 300, but I was fully lactic doing that. So that was probably the hardest one because I actually failed and I lost a lot of, yep. you know, a month out from a champs, every yeah. session, is um you know you're analyzing it yeah um, probably too much so you know that was a session where i felt um a little bit nervous about Uh uh-huh because yeah obviously i hadn't done it to what the coach had said but 
Yeah. Um, Philo was saying, well, you still ran a 52-400, so you've still got the speed. You've still got um, the fitness. Like we did yep. that um, 3 two, one times 3 minute on Lake Mary Road. Um, yes. You, that you was blue on that one. Yeah, that was one of my – I love that road. Like the yeah. big, big shoulder to worry about any potholes or, you know, any – yeah, just anything I'd maybe trip on. And Sammy, the other yep. blinky, yeah, he he loved it as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably why. That's I probably well yeah, on that road. I got a really good appreciation of just ha- how visually impaired both of you were. Um, I, I sort of went into the yeah. camp and and had heard had seen a lot of your results and seen that you've broken thirty minutes for ten k and fourteen twenty for five k. And um, so I just assumed I. Um, like you must 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 be a slight visual impairment because um, you're such yeah. a good runner. And then then I saw you like falling in like like uh, you hurt your knee and you sort of ended up in a ditch um, on one run. Yeah. And um, there was new, every run you sort of um, just um, alerting you of like the next sort of rock or, or or pothole or if there's a pole in the middle of the path. Um, and I just remember yeah. playing basketball with you and um, uh, like yeah, you've got great skills and and you're you obviously sort of have learnt that um, um, from a young age um, with all your skills, but but then there was a few times where I would just forget and I'd throw yeah. the ball really hard at you, and, and a few <laughs> times I sconned you. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty pretty classic. A lot of people will forget, and uh, yeah, yeah. That the ball in the face is the the common uh, symptom of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and. Um, I think just like that was what was I found one of the most inspiring parts of the trip was that like despite despite um you know ha- having the visual impairment and then Dion you know sh- struggling with um you know the weakness on it on his uh left side and and then Roga you know miss- missing um you know that half half his arm like no one yeah. said anything about it like everyone just sort of you know got on with it and um yeah, I just tried to do the best they could. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a part of, you know, the, the Paralympic squad is the fact that, you know, we all know what our impairments are, so we all know what the additional challenges are. But, um, you know, Dion, you know, Dion is probably, you know, the cerebral palsy probably yep. is more of a physical impediment than visual impairment or an arm amputation. And yet yep. he uh, nearly, nearly takes offence at, like, yep ever giving that as an excuse because uh-huh. he's so, uh, you know, adamant and determined to be considered um, and to be pushed in training, you know, um, like as anyone else. And I think that's probably the reason why he's a world champion yep. and, and um, because he's just so driven uh, and he's such a positive guy and he's yeah, just such a, a legend of a, of a person that, uh, yeah, he uh, never lets anything really get him down. I, I remember when we are, uh, we got robbed in Spain, and the, the first thing he said was, um, "Oh, at least we're all still alive." Yeah. And, and I reckon it was within a couple, like two minutes or something, of, of, of it happening. Yep. And that's his first thought, which is, yep. you know, totally correct as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and there, there was just so many moments like that with Dion. Like he, he was like such a provider for the trip. Like he, he definitely created that. Um, that team ethos, that positive spirit, I thought. Um, yeah. And even just how hard he worked in training, like you could hear him from the back straight. Uh, yeah. 
that's the thing, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, ro- rogues and I, as para athletes, we get a lot of um, exposure, and yep. a lot of people know who we are. But Dion, he was a world champion before both of us, and he's only a couple of years older than me. Uh, and he, yeah, he was at our first world champion in the squad there. So um, he trains. You know, every, you know, Rogues is renowned for, for training himself into the ground. Well, Dion will train and do one session and it might take him a whole week to recover. That's how hard he pushes himself. So, yeah, he's, um, you know, he's a story that a lot of people, um, yeah, should know about a little bit more. And I think uh, leading into Tokyo, um, people will be hearing his name quite a lot more. Yeah, I know before the trip, um, Vic Moore, um, the physio that um largely looks after you guys um gave me a bit of a handover and did say that that Dion does take a little bit longer to recover like that is part of the cerebral palsy and like off flights and after training sessions so like (laughs) he he um but it's it's and just to be aware that he does try to keep up with everyone and, and does push himself um, so yeah. Much. Um, but yeah, sometimes yeah, there were were a few days where he he did really, really get tired. But he he sort of has learnt, I suppose, over the time to know what to do to sort of recover and 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 come up from that. Yeah, he's definitely like a smart guy. He's, yep. He's one of the most switched on people um, I've met. Yep. In in that regard, so um, yeah, that you know he would have been disappointed with uh, his you know bronze medal at World Champs, but. He was also, I think the interview he gave after the race is one of the best interviews I've ever seen. He was just, he, he totally um, like aced the, I'm completely shattered, but I'm also really grateful for the opportunity kind of thing. Like, yes, he just kind of thing. Yeah, he was just perfectly like, <laughs> just aced it. And, um, so yeah, he's uh, someone that will use that uh, to, as fuel for the, Yep. For the fire and training towards Tokyo. Yep. Now, um, tell us, uh, you did ace quite a few sessions, particularly on the track. Um, uh, what about um, there was? A, what about that session at Flagstaff um, at um, NAU uh, where you did the um, eight hundred time trial, and then you did um, some repeat three um, hundreds and four hundreds oh, yeah. after it. Um, that was the cold, cold. Yeah, that's really. Yeah. That's when it started to get cold. Yeah, it was freezing. We, yeah. we'd been really lucky with the weather, and it was just freezing, and like the wind was up as well, and it was. Uh, I've just got it on Strava here. It was eight hundred, yeah. three four hundreds, and four three hundreds. Um, yeah. we took ten minutes after the eight hundred, so the eight hundred was like in between time trial and like a hard effort pace. So yep. Um. Yeah. And it was at 2,200. Uh, 2, yeah. yeah. So um, 10 minutes after the eight, six minutes after the 400 sets, 400 sets, sorry, and then two minutes between the actual reps okay. um, for the fours and threes. So, yeah, it was 158. Um, <laughs> Which is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, that was tough too. Well, I felt really good actually in the 800, even though it was windy and stuff. But we all had to like chuck clothes back on after the 800 because yeah, it was just so cold. And then um, Rogues and I seemed to be exchanging the lead a lot and it was 61, 58, 59, then 43, 45, 43, 42. Yep. But I was so lactic and my legs were so frozen um, <laughs> that 
yeah, it was just and 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 Rogues, who's yeah, to give, give him a lot of credit, the marathon guy yeah. actually um was dropping me in those last two three hundred. So um, that's when we all knew we were going to be in good shape because if we could run a session like that in the conditions we'd just run at altitude, um, yeah, obviously Dubai was going to be hot, but it just showed our fitness level. Uh huh. And then with Flagstaff, uh, that, that's the – is that the third time you've been up there now? Uh, yes, yep. third time. Um, tell listeners a bit more about, like, how you find the, that experience, like just going there for training um, and, uh, like, the trails. Like, yeah. How, yeah. How do you find it? Flagstaff, yeah, um, yeah obviously Philo – being uh, the physiologist that he is, he's been to uh, pretty much every altitude training uh, location in the world that you can think of. And he's, you know, in his years of experience, has decided that Flagstaff is the best place. And although I haven't been to anywhere else, really, um, I can see what he means because, you know, we're at 2,100 to 200 metres above sea level. Um, it's a big town. There's lots to do. There's gyms. Um, you know, there's the college is there too. So, yeah, there's there's quite a lot to do. And then you can run pretty much with zero metres elevation gain in a week if you wanted to. But then you can easily go and find hills as well um, within five minutes. And then you can even run higher like we did a waterline road, which was, what was that, like 2,700. And then you can drop down in an hour to 1,000 metres at either Sedona or Cottonwood, which both have tracks. Yep. So, um where it's a pretty epic location and the trails are for the most part really smooth for me to run on. So I don't have to worry too much. And especially after you've run the same trail a couple of times, you start to get to know it well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just perfect for me. I don't have to stress too much. And, um, yeah, I think, I think I wouldn't, if I was serious about a major champs, um, it would have to like, and I didn't go there, um, then I'd be, doing a disservice to myself i think uh-huh and um there was like a few crazy long runs um there was one <laughs> in particular the mountain air one that i remember you you and tim really got going at the end there um i think i, I was doing um a little bit longer um and rogues was doing a little bit longer and millie was doing a little bit longer but um, yeah like i remember like you like hearing your your average for the whole thing and um I can't remember what it was. It was sort of like like 350s or something like that. Yeah, um, 356s, I think, overall, yeah. Yeah, at 2,000 um, 2, metres above sea level and, and a very um, hilly hilly run. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, yeah, that's what I, like, I, I, I found that I really noticed from the trip was you guys just trained really hard. Um, what, what, enabled you to train so hard i suppose i suppose was it the fact that you're on a camp and that's all you're doing really and you could rest a little bit more um i mean what like uh yeah is this normal for you that you could train like that all the time or um yeah it's definitely not a sustainable thing so yeah. i think the good thing about a winter is the fact that obviously you build a base so it was my first full winter in australia since i was 15 or 16 i'm 20 now so it was a good chance to um be able to yeah build that base and that training is nearly like training for the training so yep. um i would never train that hard really at home mm -hmm. 
unless yeah, unless like the championships was at home. But um, you kind of get to Flagstaff, you're a month out from the champs. It's kind of um, the point where you could probably start to reach your peak fitness and and be able to hold it for that long. So you can start to train really hard. So um, whereas if I had to start training that hard three months out, I probably wouldn't have been able to hold it. So one month to go in Flagstaff, um, yeah, we can pretty much put it all on the line and um, that'll probably be the difference between um, a win and a, and a loss yep. at, at World Champs is just timing that um, really hard um, phase of training. And, and we're lucky as para-athletics, para-athletes, we don't have to do any of the well, we don't have any diamond league. So in a way that's lucky because we only have one race to peak for. So we can um, just go away for a month and, and train the house down. Whereas people like Stewie um, are training the house down, yep. but every so often they'll, you know, have a race to do um, uh-huh. on the circuit, I suppose. So, uh, which is a great thing to have. It'd be awesome to have a circuit, but uh, yeah, there's pros and cons to both kind of uh, lead ins to a championship. And it's not like you still, like, I thought you were really mature with your training. Like some days you were like, nah, I'm just going to do a run by myself and, or I'm just going to drop off from the pack and run, you know, five thirties per K. Like tell, tell everyone about like some, some days when you felt like that, was that sort of visual fatigue as well? And was, or was that just knowing your body and how you are and, and that you just needed that? Yeah. I think it's like a, an awareness that, because obviously, yeah, as I said, I, I trained really hard in that month because I knew that I would be able to hold it. But in saying that, there were days where I would think, oh, like, shit, I think I've gone maybe yep. over the edge a little bit yeah. in, in, in the wrong direction. So on those days when I realized it, and, and usually visual fatigue comes with that. So I just, um, you know, I've been trying to focus on stuff too hard or I've been concentrating on small print or or something like that. And I haven't, um, you know, because it's all a new environment to me, so I'm, I can't just relax. Um, I'm always seeming to be on. So whenever those two fatigues caught up with me, I'd just, um, I'd happily jog, yeah, five-minute Ks, six-minute Ks. And I do it here as well. I've got a, a mate that does judo who who his pace is perfect for me if I just want to have a, a run where I can chill out. So, uh, nice. I, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing because you're still getting the mileage in and, and if anything, you're actually spending more time on your legs, but it's slower. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's a detriment to oh, – well, I think it's actually quite a good benefit to be able to run slow um, sometimes. Definitely. Absor- absorb the hard training. Yeah, and I'd always feel better for it the next day. Yep. And um, in some of the downtime, um, you were writing a few articles, weren't you, um, uh and that's that's a bit of a passion of yours, and you're quite good at it. Um, uh, like, what's yeah. the, what's um, sort of your future there, and um, what what have you sort of lined up? I suppose over the um, next year in terms of your writing. Yeah, it's um, yeah, writing is something I love doing. I think you know I lo- I love the writing, but I also love hearing people's stories. So um, I'm I'm just really fascinated by like human stories and people that mm-hmm. are just every everyday people just, I don't know, doing stuff and, you know, running's perfect for that because running is so, so such a human thing to do. Um, and yeah, so 
I'm still uh, loosely doing some stuff for Runners Tribe, and I'll still write for their uh, end of year magazine. And and if they have any major kind of news stories that they'd like me to do, then I, I happy to happily do it. But the thing with like my passion is, um, it's not really about the splits and the kilometers and all that. Like that's not really what fascinates me about running. It's more more the the stories of you know I go down to park run. Yep. And I'll I'll sometimes find, you know, half a dozen more, more like stories that really spark my passion for riding. Yep. Than say you know some of the runners on the elite circuit. Um, so yeah, like people like Harry Summers, his story really, um, you know, sparks a passion in me to write. So uh-huh. I'm re- I find an article will come a lot easier to me if I'm uh, invested in the story. So yep. Um, I think I'm just gonna have to find my footing next year and. In terms of where I'll be headed to, um, not really sure. But yep. um, if anyone f- hears of a story they think I, I should write about, um, definitely let me know. Because yeah, um, yeah, sometimes it's it's hard to find the, the really human stories. And so um, the other the other um, thing that I noticed when I was on the camp with you guys, like you had um, Tim Tim Logan, you one of your guys and, and then philo coach slash guide um you're practicing the the guiding so running with the little yeah. 30 centimeter rope um and you do drills with it and you gave me one shot <laughs> at the end of the trip like for about a k like i tried to run with you but i really got an appreciation of how hard it was like i just thought you just ran next to the person but yeah you really got to be sort of resembled the, the stride and um the, the technique of the other person and the rhythm um, it's yeah. quite an art. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. So obviously since I've been using guides for the 5k, I've, I've had Tim and Philo and, and originally it was Matt, Matt Clark as well, but he's, um, you know, trying to make the Olympic games, which is yep. super exciting, but Tim and Philo, uh, are doing it at the moment. And I'm lucky that Tim is, you know, my height, pretty similar, well, pretty much the exact same. And he's running best mates. And he's my best mate, so yeah. he knows me like as yeah better than anyone. So, yeah. Um, me and him at the start didn't have much trouble getting in in sync or anything like that. But Philo, obviously being taller, um, a different arm carry, a different kind of uh, stride length, we uh, had a little bit of trouble at first. We had a few races in Canberra and stuff that didn't go to plan. And so we decided that instead of just practicing in some reps and training, we would do, uh, we would do it on our easy runs, um, mm-hmm. and we just like clock up the kilometers and just make it, uh, you know, run so many kilometers that it would just feel like it normal. Um, and we do drills with it to to get um, that arm carriage correct and and stuff like that. So by the end of it, we were we were as as good as, you know, as if I used it every single run. So that was a, yep. a really good move, which we only implemented in Flagstaff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was perfect. But it's still so tricky. Like, the guide changeover is one of the hardest things because so that's you get two to... and a half K, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so it's just at the halfway mark. And you, the rule states that you're not allowed to drop the rope at any time. So Tim has to grab it, and, and it's pretty small. He has to grab it before Philo drops it. So Philo can't drop it until Tim grabs it. And we're doing this at sub three minute K pace yeah. um, in the middle of a pack. So 
uh, a couple of nights before, and we were usually pretty good at it, but a couple of nights before we did um, a couple of 400s and we just couldn't get it right. Like okay. it was the first time we couldn't get it and we just, you know, I was pretty determined to leave on a good note. So I was like, oh, you know, we'll just keep going till we get it. But we just couldn't really get it. So we went into the race, like not knowing if we could do it, Um, which was, I mean, I was just in this state of weird, like relaxation at that point. So I didn't actually worry about it. I I was like, oh, Tim will be able to pull through. Um, And and he did. Yeah, it was like the smoothest transition. He put it on his Instagrams. Um, yep. You know, he posted it on Instagram, yeah. And it's just considering that, yeah, we looked must have looked horrible two nights before. Um, yeah, we actually aced it. No, oh, brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, before we get on to the actual race, I, I just wanted to yeah cover one other thing that I noticed on at tra- when you're training at Flagstaff was the gym sessions were really cool. Like you guys would um, – be doing like Olympic lifts and like snatches yeah. and uh, clean and jerks. Um, and it looks so good watching you do it because you're so small, yeah. um, but you have a lot of power in those legs and um, yeah. a lot of spring. And, um, and then you would do a lot of box jumps and uh, yeah, you had a lot of bounce. Um, how long have you been doing all that stuff with Philo? Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, pretty, yeah. Well, I started being coached by Philo in, uh, in Flagstaff, probably May 2017. And I think probably by the start of 2018, I'd started doing a lot of the gym work that we do, which is a lot of um, kind of explosive. It's pretty much all based around explosiveness. So it's a very 1,500-meter-oriented gym program. So yep. Rogues does a different one. But um, oh, I reckon it's helped me, and especially even just kicking down in the last 100, just um, – I think it gives me that extra edge because mm-hmm. like a bit more speed. Yeah. And like your legs are so tired when you do the box jumps and, <laughs> and the snatches and stuff that, you know, it kind of feels like those last 20 steps, even in a 1500, which actually it proved critical in, in my world championships. But um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. And like, I've got um, Keely Small, the, the youth Olympic games, 800 champion. Although she's younger than me by, I think, two years, she's can yeah, lift as amazing. much as me in the gym. Yeah, yeah. lifts. So I, it's pretty competitive some, <laughs> some days. If she, she'll try and like sneak on an extra five kilos on the the last set of of squats or something, and hope that I won't see it because then she can say afterwards she lifted more than me. But I usually double check just to make sure I, I don't get beaten. But more more times than not, she does beat me. <laughs> Um, and then just on that, like, I reckon that's also like maybe a little bit of a reason why Philo has had such a, a long career um, and his body's stayed so resilient, yeah. like that and his positive sort of youthful outlook on life. Like he's, he, he just um, he reverberates like that positive uh, positivity and, and it really feeds into the group. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, seeing him do some of the gym and the lifts, um, it's it's meant that he's um, you know, stayed strong even though you know he's yeah. you know in his forties now. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 got to be one of the most incredible athletes in Australia. You know, forty three, <laughs> forty three years old. He made a national fifteen hundred final two years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. He has to. Uh, people have to do some tests on him. Like, it's just <laughs> it's incredible. In it's just in science tests, just to see how his body works and still keeps 
yeah. going because, um, you know, and it was good to actually see him. I think maybe because he was guiding me um, and obviously his body being healthy. Um, I was invested in that as well because I needed him on the track. So yep. he actually started getting some treatment, which I don't think he's yeah. used to getting, um, <laughs> which was good. And it, yeah, kept him together and he was raring to go by the race too, which was, which was good. But he's someone that hasn't had many injuries in his career. Yeah. Well, you didn't need much treatment. Like you you've got a pretty robust, like touch wood, robust body at the moment. Yeah. Like, um, if anything, it was more your, your neck that and and um, back that got tight just from I suppose straining to to not not fall or, or and straining to see the ground uh, when you're running. But, yeah, yeah, that's right. My main um my main issues are to do with posture and yeah. whether it's posture running because sometimes I'll I'll lean pretty far forward to see the ground or um, the other times, you know, when I'm just sitting around on the couch or on my phone or stuff like that. And yeah, I just have a bad posture so I can see stuff. So that's usually, that's usually my problem. Actually, I don't know if I told you this, uh, the four days leading into the fifth and hundred at world champs, yeah. uh, I had a really, really sore back. Oh really? And I was getting treatment on it yep. uh, quite often just to loosen it. It was really sore. Yeah. I thought it was the beds or something like that. Yeah. But after the fifth and hundred final, after I, um, got up for the win yeah. and the tension lifted, yeah. I realised it wasn't the bed and it was just nerves tension. and stress and yeah. tension, yeah. Yes, yep. So um, that was pretty weird just to realise. So maybe even my back, um, you know, it was, it was posture, but it was also a bit of, bit of tension in flag stuff um, yeah. with all the pressure going on. Yeah, yeah. They probably did notice that actually a few times when you were were um, like um, having a few tense moments that you – you probably did need, that's when you sort of did need the treatment. So yeah, maybe yeah. there's a little bit of a link there too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just crazy. Just the fact that it was so tight. It was like I pulled a muscle or something. And then, um, yeah, as soon as the, the pressure was gone, it my back was f- fully recovered. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, um, uh, just cause I'm just trying to create like a bit of an image for everyone of like how the camp worked. Um, we were all in um, this one sort of um, townhouse, that, that double story, and um, me, um, you, Sam Harding, and Tim were all in some bunk beds in a room. Um, yeah. And and then um, yeah, there was ten of us all in that townhouse, um, and then we did had cooking groups, and yeah, um, we were the best. Yeah, we were the best. <laughs> um, we nailed a few meals. Um, uh, t- Tim, Tim, you and I. Uh, uh, yeah, um, we we would cook probably like every fourth or fifth night, and um, yeah, we we got better. <laughs> yeah, I reckon we were pretty good. I reckon uh, we did a what was it, an eggplant? Yeah, the, parmesan. That, that was did Tim's the, one. That was really good. Yeah, the stir fry. The stir fry. Uh, my burgers. Stir fry. Yeah, that was good. Then was it burgers that we did? Yeah, yeah. we had burgers one night, and um, what else? Oh, we must have done a fourth one. Oh, the carbonara, yeah. Yeah. Jeez, that was good as well. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we did real good. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and, and then uh, now, like, on to the, um, yeah, o- over at the World Champs. Um, yeah. So, obviously, you went to Spain after Flagstaff, and that's yeah. where, the, where you actually got robbed. And yeah. So, you guys were checking out a track, was it? And then um, you, you, you got back and... Um, had the car been broken into and you lost everything, was it? 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting day. It was actually Philo's birthday, so oh, that's why we lost heaps of heaps of stuff because it wasn't just training gear. So uh, the track in the town we were staying in, Mataro, was was being relayed. So we had to find another track, and then the track we were planning on going to had a uh, you know a school group on it. So um, you know we couldn't go there. So then our last hope was the Olympic Stadium in the city Barcelona, which was about an hour away. So. We decided we'd go there, then go for a swim, and then spend the day in the city. So, um, yeah, we probably in a bit of a bit of a rush is probably why we made the mistake of yeah leaving the bags and the the boot for even five minutes. So we walked into the gate of the Olympic Stadium warm up track, and yeah, these two gardeners for some reason um, <laughs> came up to us and started like talking to us in Spanish and showing us these signs and. The signs were just like, oh, there was nothing really on them. There was people on the track and yeah. they'd just been on a walkie-talkie. And our conspiracy is that they were, they were in on it, which oh. to, uh, to me it seems pretty obvious. Um, just, yep. yeah, just the way. Distraction. Well, it was just, yeah, and it's like they didn't, it wasn't their job to kind of police it. And they were clearly not because there was everyone on the track anyway. So, um, yeah, and then. We walked outside. We were probably only 100 metres, 50 to 100 metres away from where it all happened and only for a couple of minutes and walk up to the car and it's the back, the back, whole back window smashed, the Jeez. side window smashed, the seal for the glass was torn off, the seat was pushed down the back and, yeah, uh, four of our bags were gone and phones, wallets, training gear, Australian racing gear, spikes, for our races um, the next week, uh, my racing goggles, the guide rope. Really? Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah, our phone and wallet. Um, we were pretty – oh, and then obviously, yeah, heaps of casual clothes. and Your passports? Swim, swimming clothes. Nah, luckily we left the passports back at the house. Yep. Um, but, yeah, like it's a couple of thousand dollars worth of stuff in the end because um, just because of the, like, yeah, the, the casual gear that – we had in the swimming gear as well on top of it because it was a big day. I think Rogues had two bags of stuff um, that day. So it was probably the worst day we could have got, got robbed. But we were lucky, though, within the situation because Philo's bag was a bit more hidden in the front seat and they didn't get it. So okay. um, we, we still had a phone. Yep. We still had a wallet with money. And the house keys for the house was still in the um, in his bag. Yeah, okay. So which was all really lucky because if we didn't have money, I don't know how we would have got it. Then uh, the phone obviously helped us get the hour back to Mataro um, and the Spanish roads are crazy. And then, yeah, obviously having the house keys was super important as well. And yeah. the, consulate, the consulate in Barcelona was closed that day and then, then the next two. So um, it actually scares me to think, yeah, like the stress that it would have caused if we had lost Philo's bag as well. Yeah, but we were actually quite lucky within the situation, and then um, I got onto uh, Sam Strutt at Nike, and yep. he sent me, you know, uh, pretty much the whole pro kit. Oh, nice. for for twenty nineteen, just to yep. uh, just to yeah, make sure I had enough gear uh-huh. for tra- for training and racing. Because in the so lead up, this was in yeah. broad daylight, and and how long before the actual world champs? Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was exactly a week before, um, and okay. yeah, broad daylight on a pretty busy road. People would have seen it. Um, yeah, but I, you read some stats in Barcelona. You hear some stories, and 
Although most of the stories are pickpocketing and like just, you know, not just like smash into a car and grab, that still happens quite often. And there's a lot of worse stuff going on in Barcelona. Um, and, you know, just sitting in a police station for an hour, you kind of start to realise that the situation that we're in is is pretty much a trivial matter compared to some others. So Yeah, like Dion um, said, at least you were alive. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Barcelona is like a, a cool city, but it's also um, a lot of parts of it are pretty dangerous. So people were in a lot worse worse positions than us. So we were pretty lucky, yeah. Okay. And and then um, how did the training end up keep going after that? And, and how, how did you sort of get by until um, the race? Yeah, well, actually, before the robbery, I'd done a 1,200 time trial. And I think I'd done one in... At Cottonwood, which was 1,000 meters above sea level in America, and that was in pretty like three flat high or yep. 301. And then yeah, I remember um, that one. Yeah, and then in Spain, I we did one, and I was 257.0. So <laughs> I was flying, and then yeah. I did two 400s after that, actually. Yeah. And um, what were they? Here we go. They were in um, 57 and 54. Far out. So that was with maybe 10 minutes break after the time trial. So that was a session that gave me heaps of confidence. Yeah. Um, I was feeling really good. And that was after the, like you'd been robbed, was it? That, that was actually the day before. Yep. So yep. that was like, it's the day we were getting robbed. That was going to be my second last training session. So we actually moved that to the next day after everything that happened. Um, and that one was just 10 400s on a, on a 145 cycle. Um, and obviously we didn't have a guide rope, so we were practicing with the the string from the spikes bag. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually worked all right. Did you um, use that on race day? <laughs> no, nah, we ended up getting hold of one at, when we got into the team environment. Yep. But um, <laughs> we actually thought the, the, the <laughs> string from the spikes bag was a bit better. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we are, uh, yeah, I think I averaged oh, 64s. Nice. 64. Fives for that session, yeah. The and ten um, fours, yeah. And rogues, um, rogues did the session, but Philo did the first five reps, uh, guiding me. Then Tim did the next five reps, guiding me. So, um, that was good practice, and that gave us a lot of confidence too. Beauty. And then, so tell us about the fifteen hundred, um, uh, and how the actual race panned out, and uh. uh yeah, like you ran an incredible time, um, uh, but yeah, t- t- from your eyes and, and from your point of view, um, how did you find the race? Yeah, well, it was the the first time in my career that Russia um, had been reinstated, so it was the first time I was getting a chance to race the Russians in my category. So uh-huh. I I checked their personal bests on on certain things, and I I couldn't really find fifteen hundred meter PBs. But I found the 800 PBs and two of them had uh, – one was a 147-800 runner and the other the other was a 148-800 runner. So um, that's when I kind of realized that my hands were going to be pretty full because obviously I had um, – the, the North Africans at least uh, had rocked up to the world champs. So um, the Moroccans and the, Ethio, uh, the Algerians. So, yeah, I kind of stood on the start line and although I was really calm and – um, pretty confident in, in the fact that I couldn't have rocked up in a better, in better shape. I, uh, I was still also 
I think it was weird. Like I was okay with the fact that there's a good chance that I might not win. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's weird. I think if I hadn't have been in, if I hadn't been fully fit, maybe I wouldn't have been accepting of that. But it yep. was kind of like I'd only be beaten by someone that was better because I was in the best shape that I could possibly be in. So yep. um, you, I think that's why. Yeah, you knew you'd done everything you could. Yeah, so I knew if I got beaten, it would have to be like a ridiculously bad tactical error or um, or the person was just better than me. Uh-huh. And um, Philo's tactic was just to sit in. Um, if it was ridiculously slow, not to stress too much and and only go for the finish line, only make my move uh, when I believed that I could make it all the way to the finish without fading. Um, and I was just really lucky that the Russian took it out at a pretty slow pace, but not uh, not ridiculously slow. It was probably like 63s, yep. 62s even. Okay. And um, I was feeling pretty comfortable. We got a bit of a gap on the field, but um, more so just because they thought we'd come back to them. And uh-huh. sure enough, uh, the group became a pack of eight and I could hear them I could hear them breathing down my neck. Like that's just a saying, but it is genuinely how it feels. Yep. And um, just instinctively, for some reason, decided to go with 400 to go because I wanted to get a jump on um, the defending champ from Algeria. And I didn't actually realize that the person that would be my closest rival was actually the guy in front of me. So okay. um, I probably wouldn't have, in hindsight, if I had known he was my rival, I, I wouldn't have gone for it at that stage, which maybe um, would have been the wrong thing. But yep. my, my instinct said to go around him. So I think 50 meters into my move, at the bell, I um. What did you go through the bell in? I think it was, uh, two fifty two or three. Yep. So the last lap was fifty five high. Wow. Well, I think. Geez. So um, I yeah I I got to fifty meters into the last lap and I just thought oh shit I've gone I've gone way too early oh, here. Shit. <laughs> um, I I was like this is not good, and then. <laughs> 300 to go, I was like, well, I've just got to commit now. So I really just put the foot down and 100 to go, I heard the stadium commentator say um, that the Russian was coming and uh-huh. that's a pretty ominous thing to hear. So, uh, yeah, his shadow, just the way the lighting was, his shadow just fell over my body and like I could see it right on the ground in front of me. So um, that was pretty intimidating and I was starting to fade and tie up in the last 20 metres and I just like wanted my legs to not like collapse underneath me just to get to the finish line. And uh, I kind of realized, yeah, with a hundred to go that I just had to get to the finish line as quick as I could. And I yep. couldn't really worry about anyone else and cross the line, looked across and he was just behind me still. So, um, geez. Yeah. It How was far the best, behind, best like, feeling. What time did he do? Cause you did 347. I was 347.81. Yep. And then I think he was 347.91. So it was, 0.1 of a second, which kind of shows like what we're talking about, about flag stuff and the pressure and anything that's going on. It's like, yep. you know, people may not realize, yeah, how much um, little things can kind of change the whole game. But when, yep. a, when a whole year's work or even, you know, if that was the Paralympics, a whole four years work or a whole mm-hmm. lifetime's work can be decided by, you know, one tenth of a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything really counts. So you can't, leave a stone unturned really and there's some great images of you um and 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 the emotion of when you cross the line um 
without your your race goggles, so you obviously hadn't yeah hadn't got them yet. I got some new ones yet from yeah yeah um, but yeah that, that those images are um yeah quite quite amazing quite cool. Like when I saw them um yeah uh, <laughs> the next day like it yeah it was it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I um, it's funny. I got sent a lot of those photos, and at first glance, I didn't actually realize it was me because it yeah, looks so older. different. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe yeah, maybe I looked older because all the all the pressure is kind of released in that moment, yeah. and I just I just was content. But uh, yeah, uh, it's a weird thing. Like um, it's just instinctual to just roar as yep. loud as you can. <laughs> it's just like. Like, you know, you, you train out, you know, every runner will know this. The training is a long process. Like it's um, a lot of just minutes and hours and kilometers and nothing really short and sharp. And then all of it boils down to three and a half minutes. Um, And that's suddenly where everything becomes, ah, exaggerated and amplified and every emotion is just like on tenterhooks uh-huh. and you just yeah when you realize that it's all gone to plan pretty much just to perfection um, yeah it's got to be the best feeling in the world oh because i just even remember like even just from an outsider looking in like just um the the pressure that was like and, and a lot of it's like self-imposed and as it is with most yeah. runners but like you know, six weeks before it, four weeks before it, like you're, you're going, okay, I want to win the gold medal, but I've never done it before. Um, the last world champs, what you came third, and yeah, yeah, and then at the, at Rio you came seventh, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so like you'd never done it before, um, but but then like um, suddenly you'd you'd um, got you 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 were the world world record holder in your class. Um, so there was this pressure and and the thought that you can do it, but you still hadn't done it yet. Yeah, that's that's the big thing because I know when I was as a junior, I was trying to win a state title. Uh-huh. I was probably the better runner in the field for a year or two, but I just couldn't get it done. I just couldn't uh-huh. win, and I think I realized then that um, there's an there's an art or a, a skill in actually, yep, like winning a race. So yep. I know once I won one, I would win them all. Yep. So that's what happened. So. Uh-huh. I I don't know. It's like I think Mo Farah. Like I think we can all agree that maybe in his last games or even you know last World Champs, yep. he would have won a race um, or two where he probably wasn't the best runner in the field, but he just knows how to win. Yep. Um, and that was just kind of like how I felt. It was like I'm coming up against an Algerian whose PB is very similar to mine, who's won a couple of world titles, won the Paralympic Games. Like he knows how to win. Um, and I'm the one coming up against that, and I have to be the one that, that, that breaks that kind of streak. So uh, it was a bit daunting, yeah. yeah. Uh, but now that I've done it, uh, hopefully I can uh, create my own little streak. Exactly. And, I mean, I think that's what we could see in those photos, just that realisation of, of um, that you did it. And then um, uh, only a week later, you, wasn't it, you had to line up for the 5K as well. Yeah, and that was with, with, with Tim and Philo. Yeah, and there was a lot riding on that because we decided if I didn't win that, I probably wouldn't do it in Tokyo just because of the scheduling where the five k's before the fifteen hundred, and there's not much break in Tokyo. So, um, yeah, pretty much Tim and Philo getting a chance to run in Tokyo was riding on 
on me in that 5K. And I think I was very lucky I won the 15 because it meant that there wasn't any pressure on me other than that to win. So yep. I think I felt really relaxed and kind of felt like my main job had, had already been completed. Uh-huh. Um, and this would just be the icing on the top. And it turned out to be a race that I um, was probably yeah more in control of just because yep. the Moroccan and the Canadian and the favourites that um, if they hadn't made the race fast um, would have beaten me, they just never made it fast. And it just ended up being a last lap kick down, which I'm still really confused about why they did that because they did watch the 1500. They knew that that was my strength. And these guys are marathon guys. So yep. not sure why they left it to the last lap, but um, – I'm sure they won't do it again in Tokyo, uh, but <laughs> it was a good, good, a good, good moment to to kind of be on the start line with my coach, who's you know it was his first time representing Australia. Yep. And then uh, Tim, you know, someone, yeah, that I've known since I was 13, and drives me to and from training most nights, and you know we've run tens of thousands of kilometers together, and to cross the line, um, that was awesome. But there was a funny moment actually with. With 4.50 to go, yeah, he tell he just, um, you know, we were still sitting in about third or fourth and he kind of looks at me and he just yells like <laughs> above all the noise. He's just like, I want everything from you right now. I want, I want everything on this last lap. Yeah. And I just remember going like, in my head, I just remember going, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I was just totally pumped up except yep. then we got out of sync with 50 to go just because we were – yeah probably in a bit of a frenzy to get to the finish line. Yep. And um, all I remember him saying is he's like looking over his shoulder, like completely frantically just to make sure we had enough of a gap. Yeah. And he, and <laughs> we get out of sync and he's trying to get back in sync, but yeah. you know, there's too much going on. So we couldn't, and he's just going, Oh, Oh shit, shit, shit. <laughs> he was just freaking out, is but he? it was funny. It was funny. <laughs> Um, I think that's why in the photos when we cross the line, there's a bit of relief on his face. Um, yeah, yeah, he, did, uh, he didn't look that excited. He sort of looked, um, yeah, almost like Kathy Freeman's response. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was. Because obviously the psychological pressure on, on Tim and Philo is, yep. is so different to mine. And it's yep. actually, I don't, I, yep. it's something I can't even imagine really because obviously the decisions that they make um, because I'm going to trust them fully in the race on where to sit in the pack and stuff. So the decisions that they make are, you know, could define my life's work potentially um, down the track or, you know, at Tokyo and stuff like that. So the pressure that they're feeling is, is, is a completely different pressure to mine. Cause I know that if I make a mistake, it's, you know, I've only got myself to blame. Um, yeah, yeah, whereas, yeah. Yeah, if they make a mistake, it's kind of uh, has an effect on on my performance. So yep. it's um they do it really well. Yeah, like they're absolute professionals at it. But yeah, it'd be an interesting pressure. Uh, must have been um yeah such such an amazing feeling to finish that world championships with two gold medals, and then to think that next year Tokyo is coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's such a quick turnaround to Tokyo, so yep. um, that's why I needed a, a bit of a break, and this is why I'll take this summer pretty casually and, uh-huh. and not put any pressure on myself. Yep. Um, just because, you know, my goal obviously is Tokyo, which is in uh, early September, so um, everything's geared towards that. And yep. winning those medals, um, although it puts a target on my back, um, and obviously the Paralympic Games um, go up, you know, tenfold 
in quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, people that people out of Africa that didn't rock up to World Champs rock up to the Paralympic Games. So um, there's a lot of unknowns, and we don't get to race each other in para sport very often. So um, we don't get to really realize each other's tactics too much. So yep. Um, it was good having Dubai because I got to see at least a little bit of where everyone else and my rivals were at. So I think it's given me a bit of confidence. But, um, you know, as I kept saying in my interviews after the race, uh, when we line up on the start line in Tokyo, it's a new race. Um, and whoever's the world champion, it, you know, goes out the window as soon as the gun goes. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of months. Nice. And, um, so you've just come back from th- th- three weeks um, over in Europe with um, your girlfriend, Char- Charlotte. Um, yep. That must have been nice um, just to try to kick back and relax a little bit. Yeah, it is. And, like, um, you know, I, I go away quite a bit. So I, you know, obviously was away for this whole trip. And then I'm only back home in Melbourne for three weeks before going to Perisher. And then I'm only back home for a few days before going to Canberra. So... I'm away quite a bit, so it was good to to get away with Charlotte and do a holiday and, yeah, kind of refresh the minds before, you know, a big 2020 where there's probably going to be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, self-imposed pressure and, and, and um, yeah, just a, a lot going on. So it, yeah. it was good to do that. So with, um, with uh, next year, um, what's your setup going to be? Are you pretty much going to be a professional? professional runner really um and and that's going to be the main focus because obviously you're competing at such a high level um you you're um getting a little bit of support from AFS Australia um uh yeah what's what's um next year's setup going to look like yeah I think I'll um you know I deferred this half of the year just because um the world champs being so late in the year were during the exam period and the major assignment period. So I decided to just uh, give that a miss, but I will go to uni for two or two subjects probably um, Uh at the start of the year, just, just cause I, I I really like the degree that I'm doing. Like I'm just doing art. So there's a lot of um, pretty interesting subjects I can do. So it would just be something to take my mind off it. Um, Good distraction. Yeah, I reckon it's a necessity. Otherwise, yep. yeah, you just get too caught up in everything and get too immersed in it. So I think that would be perfect for me. And then um, I'll do a bit of writing just when I need a, you know, somewhere to escape to. But otherwise, you know, I'm I'm a professional runner. I'll do my public speaking and stuff like that. But um, the running will be the thing that comes first. Yeah. 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 No, great. Um, and I'm just wary of the time because I know you've got. Um, um, another commitment, you know, coming up uh, at ten ten thirty. Um, yeah. Actually, just tell because um, that's 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 actually a, a film crew, isn't it? And they're following your journey towards Tokyo. Like, can you just yeah. tell people about that? Because that might be good for people that are interested to follow your journey. Yeah. So yeah. this is going to be um, potentially a really really cool thing that will come out and be released in uh, either the end of two thousand and twenty or the start of two thousand and twenty one. So it's pretty much just a a feature documentary on uh, my journey towards Tokyo, but also Tim Tim's journey towards Tokyo. So, nice. um, yeah, they are pretty much coming to most of the stuff I'm doing. Um, and, yeah, so I'm going to my cousin's school to show the medal around and I'm going to 
um, different. I've got a lot of engagements before I head to Perisher. So they're coming to quite a few of those. And yep. then um, they're just observing me, really. So a lot of the training sessions and uh, then we'll do an interview at certain points throughout the year. Um, and it's a fully professional setup. It takes them an hour to set up nearly. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah, still don't really know how it's going to end up, like what the finished product will be. But by the sounds of it, they're really invested. So they're going to come to Perisher for a few days with us and um, they're going to come to Flagstaff potentially next year and um, Tokyo and they're going to have all the behind-the-scenes footage and I've told them to make it as, as raw as possible. So if, nice. I, if I'm feeling the pressure yeah. in a certain moment um, to keep the cameras rolling because I think <laughs> that'll make it authentic. And, yeah. And, yeah. No, that, that's good. Like that's because um, we want to see that, the ups and downs. So Yeah. Yeah, and I think the downs, like in my writing, when I find a story, the downs are usually what makes the story what it is. Yes. And I think that's, yeah, what makes it such a powerful story. So, what makes uh, it relatable? Think, yeah, that's right, because everyone has ups and downs. So, yeah. and I think people that think athletes go to the games and win medals and, you know, they just do it without feeling that kind of pressure and having those really dark moments uh, like you know it's good for those kind of people to, to see the reality of, of of stuff you know a lot of good things come out of being an elite sports person but there's also you know there's moments where it's really hard and it, there's you know there's some really dark moments in terms of um where you think you're at and yeah just mentally and and um and yeah and, and physically as well with your body so um it'll be really cool to, to look back on the journey as well um, through through the lens. Yeah, no, nice. And um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to bring this up, but um, but yesterday, how did those – you had some chats with Nike. Um, is anything eventuated with that or are you still sort of in negotiations or in the chatting chatting stage? Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's going really well. Obviously, yep. Nike uh, helped me out with all my uh, replacement gear after the robbery, so – um, you know, they've already supported me really well, but, um, we'll have to see where it goes. I think, yep. uh, yeah, we're still in chats, still in negotiations, um, whether or not that goes ahead. Um, but you know, this will be an ongoing discussion between me and Nike and yep. a lot of it's centered around the extra promotion of, of para athletes and stuff like that. So, yep. um, you know, it might be something that happens, you know, now or, or, or down the track, but, um, yeah, I think they know kind of where I stand um, with a lot of things. So it's uh, whether or not uh, they're, they're happy to, to take a lot of that stuff on board. But um, either way, they helped me quite a lot in the lead up to Dubai. So I'm, I'm pretty grateful. Well, Jared, you're certainly an inspiration to me and you're an inspiration to many others um, with what you've achieved uh, how well you speak, how mature you are for your age, um, uh, your outlook on life. Um, so, like, I think you're a great ambassador um, for the sport and for para um, para sport. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, rounding out the interview, uh, is there anything else um, that you wanted to mention or um, say or um, how can people also follow you um, on um social media yeah yeah i'm on uh 
I'm on Instagram and Twitter, just oh, and Strava as well. Just just my name, Jared Clifford. But yep. what I want to say though is yep. just oh, just what a legend you are, Dan. I think everyone <laughs> everyone listening will agree, and everyone that's been on the podcast will agree. Just yeah, everyone, you're one of those people that yeah, when you line up for race, everyone wants to see you run well. So um, a lot of people will be cheering you on when you take on the two bays. So. <laughs> Um, can't, I can't wait to see the lead up and yeah, see you smash it. I'm just pumped. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jared. Um, it's a, it's a, um, I suppose it's, it's just like everyone should have, like that everyone should have like a small little goal. Um, and like I said to you just off air before, like it, it gets me out of bed and it, it yeah, um, it's making me um, keep fit and and have a little little short term goal. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, thanks for the yeah. kind words. Um, no, no, no worries. Yeah. All right, I better let you go because I, I know um, you're um, off to do this um, shoot thing. Um, yep. So, um, but thanks so much, so appreciative of the time. Like you spent a long time with me, and um, yeah, testament to the kind of guy you are. Nah, no worries. All love the podcast, and, and good luck at two bays. All right, thanks, Jared. All right, see you, bud. See ya.